Folks, if you've stuck with me this far, you've made it through the expanded introduction to my story. We've talked about my family, my friends, and my early relationships. You know all about my childhood, my middle school years, and my high school years, and now the stage is set for Act Two. The end of innocence and the beginning of my occasionally successful expedition into the real world. And from this point forward, we are tackling each individual year, one episode at a time. I'm Jacob Slayton, and this is my entire life. On January 1st, 2000, at exactly 12 a.m., me and all my friends are screaming in a pitch-black condo, thinking the world had ended. And for a few brief moments, it seemed like we were the only people still breathing on the planet. But the lights came back up, the music started back in, and the party raged on. My buddy Brad had gone outside and flipped the breakers to the entire building shutting down the power at exactly midnight in the most perfectly timed gesture of brilliance to make an amazing memory even better. Brad came back upstairs, everybody high-fived him, and the party kept cranking all through the night. And at some point, the girls decide it's time to go to bed, so they go next door to their own condo, and it's just the guys back in the main condo that we had been hanging out in. And somebody breaks out a box of cigars. And everybody wanted to smoke one, but it was clear that we were not all going to be able to fit on the balcony outside. And so we're sitting around in the main condo trying to figure out what to do, where to smoke these cigars. And I was reminded of something my mom had said to me the day before, which was, Jacob, there will be no smoking in the company condo. Now, she knew that we smoked cigars, and I'm sure she expected us to do that again but she was very clear that there will be no smoking in the company condo. However, we were not in the company condo. We were in my grandparents' personal condo, and she hadn't said anything specifically about that. Now, I know that's a technicality, but it was all we needed at the time. So sitting around the living room in my grandparents' condo, which is pretty nice, we fired up these cigars, and now you've got 30-something guys sitting around at probably 5 a.m., just filling up this condo with smoke. And it must have smelled terrible forever, but it was amazing. And we just felt like kings. I mean, it was just incredible. And eventually the party ended and everybody went home, but it went down in history as truly the greatest New Year's Eve party of all time. And to my mom's credit, she never mentioned the smoke smell in the main condo. And I don't know why, because I know she smelled it, but that's all in the past now. Going back to high school for the second half of my senior year, everything pretty much went normally. It was just awesome. I'm still dating Casey. Everything's good. And I've got to tell you one more awesome story from high school before I graduate. In the springtime, the horses start running at Oaklawn Racetrack down in Hot Springs. And my friends and I were known to occasionally skip school and go down to Hot Springs and bet at the racetrack and eat corned beef sandwiches and just go back to school before it ended for the day and head straight home. And people knew that we did that. And a friend of mine named Amber, not the same Amber that I dated in ninth grade, but a different Amber, one day said to me, hey, I want to go to the racetrack with you sometime and bet on the, on the horses. And I said, awesome, let's do it. And so we picked a day or whatever. And we get to school and she jumps in my car into the bug and we drive down to Hot Springs, which is about an hour drive. 
And when we get in the car, Amber pops in a CD and we listen to it all the way down and all the way back at the end of the day. And when she got out of my car, she left the CD in there and I never saw what it was when she put it in and I didn't know the music, but I liked it. And I ended up leaving that CD in my CD player for weeks, just listening to it on repeat. And it was so awesome and I loved it and I got to know all the songs and I truly did not know who the band was the whole time. I was just loving these songs. And it was kind of just playing in the background of my life for like two weeks. And finally, I popped the CD out and I'm like, I got to figure out who this is. And the CD comes out slowly. And this moment truly changed my life. I look at the CD and it says, The Grateful Dead Reckoning. And for you guys that know that album, it's so incredible. It's one of their live acoustic shows. And it's got just some of the most amazing songs on it. The Dire Wolf, uh, Ripple. I mean, the album is just incredible. It must have been The Roses. It's just amazing. And The Grateful Dead, at that point, became my favorite band and has remained my favorite band for my entire life. And you guys know The Grateful Dead is like this endless cave that you could just keep exploring and exploring. And, and that really set the soundtrack for the rest of my life. And I'm sure that I will continue listening to them until the day I die because they really are the greatest band of all time. So back to my senior year, the spring semester is wrapping up. People are starting to make solid plans for where they're going to be going to college in the fall. And some friends of mine and I had really gotten into rock climbing. I was working at the rock climbing wall at our church, and I was just really having fun with that. And me and a couple guys had decided to rent a house in Little Rock near the University of Arkansas at Little Rock and go to school there and just go rock climbing in our free time and fly fishing and stuff. And that was going to be our thing. Whereas like all of my friends had decided to go up to Fayetteville to the University of Arkansas, which is like a total college town. It's kind of the, the real full college experience. Whereas the University of Arkansas at Little Rock is kind of like not a cool school by any means. It's like a lot of older students and doesn't really have the college lifestyle that you might expect. But I was just psyched about hanging out with my friends and going rock climbing. So the spring semester is sort of wrapping up and we get to graduation and everybody's plans are all set. And I was excited about where I was going to go in the fall. And then right after we graduate, my parents give me my graduation present, which was amazing. They had bought me a trip to Europe to just travel around uh, with my brother, Hunter, who was actually studying at Oxford University at the time. He had done a semester there. Maybe he did a whole year there, but he was there in the UK studying at Oxford. And so me and another guy, a friend of me and Hunter's, Willie, were going to fly over and meet up with Hunter, who was already there, and travel around Europe. And so that's what we did. We flew into Gatwick Airport in London. And the very first thing we did when we meet my brother at the airport was he said, hey, I got tickets for us to go see... Les Miserables at this like legendary theater in London. And, you know, we're like jet lagged and everything. And I was not excited about that at all. But we go see Les Mis at this theater. And we are literally in the like uppermost row of the whole thing. This, this stage was like tiny down below us. And I just slept through the whole thing, which was pretty awesome. I needed a nap. I don't remember anything about it. But I'm sure it was awesome. And after that, we, we stuck around London for a few days and hung around there. And then we went to Oxford and we went to Paris. 
and then we went to Barcelona. And the big story about this trip happens in Barcelona and, and just in Spain in general. We arrive in Barcelona, and I didn't know anything about Barcelona, really. I, I knew what to expect in London and Paris, but I didn't know anything about Spain really at all. So I was excited to, to get to see Barcelona and see a new place. And if you haven't been to Barcelona, it's amazing. It's a really, really cool city. And we had a little hostel there, and we just kind of bummed around, you know, like you do, just eating food and wandering around. And we were kind of trying to figure out what to do in the evenings. And we asked somebody, you know, where a cool bar was that we could hang out at. And he told us about this place that like only the locals and like savvy travelers know about. And it was this bar called Lovela Negra. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it means the black sheep. And it was like down this alleyway and he had given us directions to this place and it was kind of down this back alleyway and there was a, a door there was like a, a sign hanging over the door and I think it just had a black sheep on it I don't even know if it had the name of the bar but there was that was all the, that was all the marking there was it was just a door with like no window in it just a wooden door on this brick wall in this dark alleyway and so we opened up this door and inside was like opening the door to this like just the coolest possible like European bar that you could imagine. It's just full of young people. And of course the drinking age there is 18. So, you know, it's like people that are real close to my age and our age. And we walk in and it's just packed and there's people laughing and it's fun and there's music and there's, you know, it's, it's exactly the kind of bar scene that you want to pop into. Now, I'm still dating Casey at the time, but I'm sitting in this bar and I still haven't started drinking. You know, at, at this point in my life, I, I wasn't drinking alcohol. I was drinking a Coke or something. And there's like free popcorn at the bar. And we kind of got this table off in the corner and we're sitting there. And again, the bar is full and I start to notice this girl across the way. And she's kind of glancing over at me and I'm kind of glancing over at her. And you know how you do. You kind of let your glance linger a little bit and see if there's a connection. And this girl and I are just really sharing these glances. And it was like so intoxicating. And this, this girl was cute and everything. And I was just I was just totally infatuated with her. But she's like across the bar, right? Before I know it, this other girl just plops down right next to us and starts talking, blah, 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 blah. Just chatting, chatting, chatting. And just asking all these questions and she's full of energy and so now I'm sort of paying attention to her and she's kind of chatting up all of us and really just just being pretty fun honestly and asking us questions and where are you guys from and tell me about that and what have you guys been doing and why are you here and what are you doing in Spain and telling us about where she was from and just she just kept going and it was really fun and she goes hey do you mind if I invite my friends over and we were like sure you know and so she waves some people over and before I know it this person sits down right next to me and I look over and it's the girl that I've been making eyes with across the bar is now sitting right next to me. And, you know, your heart fills up with butterflies and stuff and you kind of have these, you know, it was like this acknowledgement that we know we've just been looking at each other and let's see what's going on here, you know? And so I started talking to this girl and her name is Emma and they were from the UK and she had this just cute accent and she was so awesome. And long story short, we end up just hanging out with them all night long and, you know, finding out where they were staying and everything. And so we had made plans to hang out the next day and we did some sightseeing stuff the next day and all that, 
you know, have lunch together, have dinner together, go back to Lo Vela Negra that night, walk each other back, you know, you know how it is. I mean, it was just a lot of fun. We were spending all of our time together. The next day we hang out again. The next day we hang out again. We decide to stay a few extra days so that we can hang out with these girls. Their names were Emma, Anna, and Francesca, and we just had a great time, me, Hunter, and Willie, hanging out with them. And one night, we had been at Lovella Negra again, and we decided, let's go take a walk on the beach down by the port, you know, which is just a just really a short walk from that bar. So we walked down there, and we're just having the most amazing time. And me and Emma had kind of developed this little flirty relationship thing. You know, we would, like, sort of hold hands here and there, and... You know, I was just such an innocent kind of guy. I, I was not the kind of guy that was going to be trying bold moves on girls. I was just excited that any girl was interested in me at all. So we, we had been sort of just having fun like this. And we go down to the beach uh, this night, and we start walking along the beach. And I've got this picture of us where we've got our shoes in our hands, you know, and we're just walking, taking this nice little stroll on the beach. And all of a sudden, this rainstorm kind of pops up out of nowhere. And everybody kind of starts running for cover, right? And it was like this fun, like, laughy running, squealing in the rain sort of thing. And we were all kind of running as a group towards, like, this big awning uh, covering area that we were going to sort of take shelter in. And we're soaking wet. We've got our shoes in our hands. And I'm running. And Emma's running next to me. And the group is kind of right ahead of us. And I take Emma by the hand and I pull her over into this just sort of covered doorway with this very small awning that was covering this little doorway. And the rest of the group didn't see us and they keep running. And now Emma and I are under this awning. And, you know, I talk about I'm not like making bold moves. That was probably the boldest move I've ever made with a girl. We're under this awning. The rain's falling. I mean, it was truly like a a romantic comedy movie. And me and Emma are like nose to nose under this awning because it's real small and we're soaking wet. And oh my gosh, I, it was all the emotions in the whole world were just flowing right through me. And you know what? I didn't kiss her and I should have. It's like the biggest regret of my life that I didn't kiss the girl in Barcelona because it was just such a perfect moment. And honestly, I didn't want to ruin that moment with the guilt of cheating on my girlfriend and that's a noble thing to say you know and whatever it is what it is I should have kissed the girl I didn't do it so if you're listening to this and you're thinking about kissing the girl under the awning in Barcelona just do it it's awesome whatever hell I don't know if it's awesome or not but I think it probably would have been and that was just like this magical moment and that was kind of the pinnacle of me and uh, Emma's time hanging out together and We're hanging out in Barcelona the next day, and we realize that the running of the bulls is currently taking place in Pamplona, which is a four-hour drive north of Barcelona. And it's like a two-week-long, or maybe it's just a one-week-long festival. It's called San Fermin. And it was happening right then, and we we didn't even really know it at the time, but we had found out in the newspaper that it was happening. And so I'm kind of looking at my brother and, and Willie, and we're like, Let's go to Pamplona and run with the bulls. You know, we have to do it. And at the time, well, it was earlier, but the movie City Slickers was really popular. That was like in the mid-90s probably. But in the movie, they run with the bulls in Pamplona. And that, I think that's kind of where it became really popular, like in, in, you know, Western culture. But it's a huge deal. And so we decide, yeah, let's go run with the bulls. So we go to the train station 
and we book bus tickets to drive up to Pamplona that night. And it, like I said, it's a four-hour drive north. So the bus left the train station at like 10 p.m. And so we arrive in Pamplona at like 2 a.m. And we don't have any plans. We don't have any place to stay. We literally just brought like a day pack with, um, you know, what we would need for that day. And I didn't know it at the time, but Hunter and Willie had left their passports locked up in the locker in the train station with all their other luggage. And I had carried mine with me. That's going to come into play later. So we get to Pamplona in the middle of the night. We don't have any plans. We don't have any place to stay. And we just kind of start wandering around the city and trying to figure out where the running of the bulls actually happens. You know, we didn't have any of the details. We just knew we needed to be in the town. And so eventually we kind of find out where the race is going to start. And we kind of just like lay down, you know, in a park and try to get some sleep. The running of the bulls actually starts at like 8 a.m. or whatever it was. And people start to kind of you know, as the sun comes out, people start to kind of gather for the next day's running and everything. And so we start to do that and we're walking around and we've got these backpacks on. And we learn that you have to be within the boundaries of the course at the time of this alarm bell or whatever, if you want to run. And at that point, you're either in or out. And so we kind of figure out where the boundaries were and we get in there and you know, there's just a whole bunch of people standing around in there. And we've got the, uh, you know, white shirts and the red bandana and the red sash around the waist. And we, we look like proper San Fermanistas, you know, and everybody's kind of hanging around. And there's like a lot of electricity and buzz in the crowd, you know. And all of a sudden, this police officer comes up to all three of us and starts yelling at us in Spanish and just being really aggressive. And he's pushing us around and we don't understand what he's saying. But someone else in the crowd says, he's telling you, you can't run with your backpacks on. And we look around and we're the only ones with backpacks on. And so we're like, oh shit. So we, we got to get rid of these backpacks. There's like five minutes before the race is supposed to start. And we were not going to come all this way and miss out on this adventure. And so we get out of the race course and we have these backpacks and we're just looking for anywhere to stash them. Right. And so we kind of like turn down this alleyway. Now everybody in the town is like gathered for the actual, you know, running of the bull. So the town is kind of weirdly deserted in the, in the rest of the streets. So we go down this alleyway and there's like this weird construction area with like, you know, some wheelbarrows and concrete and bricks and stuff. And there's like this tarp just covering up all this construction gear. And it doesn't look like anybody's going to be working that day. So we just take our backpacks off and stash them under this tarp and run back to where they're going to have the running of the bulls. And as we're running, we're like, those backpacks are definitely going to be stolen. So we're just like laughing about that. We go down, we get in the race area. Then there's like 10 more minutes before the race actually starts. And we're kind of standing around and we're talking to people and trying to figure out what's the best way to do this. And this like totally nerdy guy, I mean, imagine like the classic nerd, like Screech from Saved by the Bell, just like this wimpy little weirdo guy is standing there reading a newspaper and he overhears us asking, you know, where we should go and what we should do. And he says, oh, you got to start, you know, at this area. He was American or it seemed like he was. And he said, you got to kind of, the best place to start is right here. And that way you'll kind of see the most action. And that's, that's what we wanted to see. So we decide to start 
just beyond the first curve and up this look like sort of long straightaway. And they fire a cannon to signify that the race has begun. And on this particular day, it was actually the second to last day of the event. And on each day of the event, they add another bull uh, for a total of 14. So they had 13 bulls on this day, which, yes, it's an unlucky number, and that added to all the fun of it. So they sound this cannon. We hear the cannon go off. And then, you know, the crowd starts buzzing, you know, and just imagine like the sea of white shirts and red bandanas and there's balconies up above us and there's people up on the balconies, like throwing rose petals down. And it's kind of all the women and children are up there screaming and the race, you know, the people that are running is like primarily men. There was some women, but it was, you know, 90% men for sure. And there's those you know, flags hanging between the balconies, you know, up above, just just like you would picture it. And we're standing there, and it's like cobblestone streets and everything. The cannon goes off. That means the bulls have been let loose, and the electricity starts to go through the crowd. And if you think about it, the bulls are shorter than the people. And so you actually can't see where they are because you've got this crowd of people in front of you. But looking down at the crowd, you start to see when the crowd starts to scatter And that's how you know the bulls have kind of made it around that corner. And the streets were wet. And so the bulls come around real fast. And they're like sliding and crashing into each other and stuff. And the bulls start running towards us. And I had kind of climbed up on the the rocks on the side of this building, like on the stones. And I had kind of gotten to where I could see over people's heads a little bit. And Hunter and Willie are standing down below on the street going, you know, are you ready? Let's go. Let's go. Come on. We got to run. And I'm going, wait, wait, wait. And so, you know, and then I'm, I jump down. I'm like, all right, go. And we start running. And of course, the bulls are faster than the people. And so, you know, they're passing us. And I mean, these are massive bulls with serious horns. And, and it was just wild. And like people had fallen down and I'm like hurtling people and you kind of get separated from your group and then you kind of find them again. And it's just absolute insanity. And the bulls are running around and, and you know, the, the whole crowd is basically like making their way into the arena. And so, you know, two or three bulls will pass at a time and then you kind of wait for more and, you know, they get separated and stuff. And people get gored. And I mean, I absolutely saw blood. I actually still have the shirt and the and the red bandana and sash that I wore, and the shirt has blood on it from people that were bumping into me. And I saw some gnarly uh, stuff happen during that. And eventually, everybody kind of makes their way, and the bulls kind of make their way into the uh, the Colosseum there, which is like, you know, just a smaller version of like the Roman Colosseum, basically. And I didn't know what was going to happen at that point, but we we go through the doors of the Colosseum, all the bulls go into, and there's like bull wranglers that end up corralling the bulls into their little pen um, that's like down this long hallway. So now it's just people in the dirt floor of the arena, and then the seats are are full too. You know, there's a whole crowd of people in the seats. And we're kind of standing around like, okay, what happens now? You know, we're like, I don't know. And so we're kind of standing around. It's clear that there's like, you know, supposed to be a show of some kind, and we're sort of just... You know, just imagine the dirt floor of this Coliseum, and there's like, you know, 300 people, 300 men, really, just kind of weirdly like pacing around in the dirt, and people are smoking cigarettes and just kind of casually talking to each other because the bulls have gone out. Well, what happens next is they shut the doors to the Coliseum, 
and they start to let out one bull at a time to just kind of mess with people. And so one bull, and they start out with kind of smaller bulls and they make their way up to the really big ones. And as the bulls get bigger and bigger, the people on the dirt floor in the center start to like climb over the wall and go up into the stands. Like they don't want, you know, any part of it anymore as the bulls get bigger. So they'll let out one bull at a time and they have like corks on their horns. So the horns aren't like, I mean, they're sharp, but they've got corks on them and it's still like super dangerous, but you're not going to get gored by the small ones, at least not at first. So they let a small bull run out and, and sort of mess with people for a while. And basically people are just like, they got these rolled up newspapers and they're just trying to like pop the bull on the butt with the newspaper. Some people are being a little bit bolder and, you know, they just, people get to see the show for a minute and we're just kind of running around keeping our distance from it. And the bulls kind of, they'll, they'll take away the small one and bring out a bigger one and the bulls get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and the crowd starts to part, you know. And so this is about halfway through and we're into the medium-sized bulls now. And what will happen is one of the bulls will come out, and sometimes they'll just, like, stand still and kind of turn in circles like it doesn't know what to do. And so the crowd will, like, gather around the bull and kind of make a perimeter, and they're just taunting it. It's, like, totally animal cruelty, but <laughs> this is what happens. So there's this big circle crowded around this one bull, and, and we kind of can't see through it. But all of a sudden, the crowd starts to go wild. And we don't know what's happening inside that circle, but the crowd is on their feet going crazy. So we we get up close to the circle and we kind of elbow our way through. And inside the circle is one of these like medium sized, medium to large bulls. And there's one person in there right with the bull, just absolutely taunting it. This guy's popping it on the head with a newspaper and stuff. And, you know, we can't really see who it is at first. Then this guy pulls over and gets the bull in a headlock. And he's literally holding this bull in a headlock. The horns are like bucking like wild. This dude's just hanging on with one arm. And with the other arm, he's smoking a cigarette and just like blowing cigarette smoke, you know, out in the air, just being as cool as you can be. And he turns around where he can face us. And it's that same nerdy guy from the very beginning that was like the classic nerd guy that told us where to run from. This dude has turned from massive nerd into the coolest human being I've ever seen in my life, holding a freaking bull in a headlock and smoking a cigarette. I mean, it, it was the most impressive, amazing thing I've ever seen. And, you know, then he just like lets the bull go and just walks away with his back to the bull. I mean, it was coolest thing ever. I'll never do anything that cool. So that keeps happening. And uh, eventually, you know, it kind of pitters out and we ended up jumping over the wall. And, you know, that was that for the day. So we leave the Coliseum, you know, at this point, it's like, you know, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. It's like lunchtime, right? And so we're going to go get our backpacks and then hang out for the rest of the day. And we had a bus ticket that was going to leave that night at midnight to go back to Barcelona. So we had 12 hours and we go back to the tarp where we had stashed our backpacks and of course the backpacks are gone and so we're standing there going oh shit you know i'm a little bit more alarmed than than hunter and willie are and and, and i think they could tell like the color went out of my face and everything and they're like you know wait what's going on and i was like dude my passport was in that backpack and they're they start yelling at me like what the hell man we told you you know of course, I don't remember what they told me, but I had brought my passport and left it in that backpack, and the backpack was gone. 
And, you know, we didn't need our passport to be in Pamplona because we weren't leaving the country. And, you know, all, all Hunter and Willie had lost was, you know, some insignificant stuff, really. Of course, the passport is the only thing that you absolutely need. So now we're, we're really down on our luck. Uh, Hunter had some cash in his pocket and the bus tickets to get us back to Barcelona. But that was all we had. And so he was able to buy us lunch and stuff. And we go to the uh, police station and, you know, ask about the lost and found and tell them that our backpacks have been stolen. And the police officer was like, he basically just laughed at us. He's like, you know, dumb Americans come to Pamplona and just leave your backpack on the ground. What do you expect? Uh, but he said, you know, you can feel free to check back here later in the day, but don't hold your breath, you know. So we're walking around and just bummed out. And eventually uh, we're walking through town and you know, the, the running of the bulls is this big festival and there's kind of people everywhere. And eventually we see this guy walking around that had Willie's backpack on. He was just wearing it. And Willie had this unusual backpack that was like really easy to spot, like no one else had it. We see this guy just wearing it. He's like this young Spanish guy just hanging out in the street, you know, drinking a beer. And Willie runs up to him and he's like, He's like, spins him around and rips the backpack off him. And he's like, you stole my backpack, dude. And the guy's like not saying anything. And, you know, Willie gets down on the ground right in front of the guy and starts going through the backpack to make sure everything that he had was still in there. And everything's in there except for a can of Pringles that he had had. And he's like, you ate my Pringles, you piece of shit. And he's yelling at this guy. And the guy doesn't say anything to him. And we're like, dude, shut up. Let's just leave. Like, be thankful that you have it. So we found Willie's backpack. And he had all his stuff back. We keep walking around and we walk by this trash can and we were kind of like looking everywhere, you know, for, I don't know, somewhere that you might throw away a backpack that you had just stolen. We walk by this trash can and my brother Hunter's backpack is just sitting right on top of it. He picks it up, looks through it. I think he had a couple things missing, but it was like not that big a deal. He puts on the backpack and we're like, oh my God, maybe we'll find my backpack too. And I had a bunch of important stuff in my backpack besides the passport. I had a CD player and all these CDs. I had this journal. I had a camera. And I had like probably two dozen rolls of film that I had shot. You know, this is back in 2000. And like some people had digital cameras, but they weren't very good yet. And so I had shot all this film on the trip. And, you know, the passport and other things. I forget what else I had in there, but plenty of important stuff as well as like some traveler's checks and things like that. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm, I'm just praying to God, like, please let this backpack turn up. You know, if you, if there is a God, let this backpack turn up somewhere. So we're looking around for the backpack. Meanwhile, we're, we're making contact with my dad back in the United States and telling him, you know, we've lost Jacob's passport. What do we do? And my dad's a lawyer and he's like, kind of goes into action mode. And he's like, all right, let me figure this out. So he says, call me back in an hour or whatever. So we call him back in an hour and he says, here's what we're going to do. He says, you need to make your way to Madrid because there's a U.S. embassy there. And he said, I'm faxing your birth certificates to Madrid. Uh, well, just my birth certificate to Madrid. Um, and you need to go get a new passport photo taken somewhere, make your way to Madrid they'll print you a new passport there, or maybe it was a temporary passport or whatever. And that was going to be the plan. 
And that plane was going to totally screw up our rest of our trip because we had, you know, train tickets to go to Switzerland, you know, right after Barcelona. So it was like this whole nightmare. And we had to figure out all that and get things faxed around and whatnot and go get passport photos taken. And I still have that passport photo, which is hilarious. You know, we still have to take the bus back to Barcelona and then we'll go to Madrid the next day. And... It's getting close to midnight. We got to go get on the bus. We'd been checking the police station, you know, periodically throughout the day to just see if anybody had turned it in. And the police station was real close to the bus station. And so we're going to the bus station. It's like 1130 at night. And I say, let me just check the police station one last time. And so they're like, fine, whatever. We go in there and there is one item on the lost and found shelf. And it's my red backpack my red Jansport backpack. I I get the backpack back, I open it up, and it's completely empty except for one thing, and it was my passport. Everything else had been stolen, but my passport was stuck in there, which is like the only thing that I truly couldn't live without. And so, you know, we like celebrate and rush to the bus station, jump on the bus, ride back to Barcelona, you know, sleep the whole way, in like total victory, you know, we're sitting there thinking we, we came and we conquered, right? You know, we ran the bulls, we got our stuff back, we hit the road, we're back down to Barcelona. And the next day we like have our last day of hanging out with Emma, Anna and Francesca, you know, have like this sad goodbye with them. It was so sad to leave them because we had so much fun with them. And we get on the train to Interlaken, in Switzerland. And we do Switzerland, we tour all that and make our way back to the United States you know, at the end of the trip. It had been like three weeks or something like that. So back to Arkansas. The fall semester is approaching and people are starting to get like super excited about college and everybody's got their roommates figured out and their dorm room assignments and they're buying all their dorm room stuff and it's all exciting. And to be honest, I was a little bit bummed out that I wasn't going up to Fayetteville to be with my friends. Um, because for me... The house that we were going to rent wasn't ready yet, and so I wasn't able to do any of that fun planning stuff and, you know, buying dorm room stuff. I was just staying at home, you know. I was going to live at home until the house was ready, which was going to be like a month out or whatever. And so fall semester starts. People start to go up to Fayetteville, and, you know, it just sounds awesome. And, of course, like back then, there was no cell phones. There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. There was no real communication, you know, I just had to wonder what they were doing. And so I'm just at my house and my little brother and little sister were still, you know, at the house and they were in like whatever grades they were in. <laughs> and anyway, the first day of college rolls around and I wake up, you know, in the same bed that I woke up in every other day in my life up to that point. And I eat breakfast at the kitchen table with my little brother and sister and my mom's there and she's like pouring me a bowl of cereal. And it was just like so disappointing, you know, you want to be in college. You want to have, you know, your own little space and your own stuff and certainly not be eating breakfast with your family on your first day of college. And so I was just bummed out that morning. And, you know, I, I go to my first day of college and it was just not exciting. I had been to the campus before and it was boring and there's not like young people like there was at Fayetteville. And I didn't really have any friends there except for these two guys that I was going to go climbing with. But they weren't going to college anyway, so I was going to be the only one going to school. And so it was just like a bummer. And I went to these classes, and it was just totally boring. And I came home at the end of that first day of school, sit down, you know, at the kitchen table at my parents' house, 
put my backpack down and just kind of slumped down in this chair. And my mom was there, you know, she sort of trying to be excited for me, but she could tell that I wasn't excited. She's like, hey, how was your first day? And, you know, it's just like so disappointing. And I was like, you know, I just told her like, this kind of sucks, you know, my house isn't ready yet and everybody's in Fayetteville. And I guess I was kind of regretting my decision. And so my mom says to me, hey, tell you what, why don't we pack up the car right now and I'll drive you up to Fayetteville and you can enroll in classes there. You'll be in school by the end of the week there. And I kind of look up at her and I'm like, are you serious? And she's like, yeah, let's do it, you know? And my mom's not really that spontaneous usually. And I just was like, oh my God, let's do it. Like, that's what I want to do. Can we please do that? And she's like, yep, let me get ready. And so I throw some stuff in a bag and we hit the road and we go up to Fayetteville. And she takes me to my brother's house. Uh, He was living off campus with some friends. And she says, can you get him enrolled in school? And He's like, oh my gosh, awesome, you know. So he uh, takes me up to campus and introduces me to his advisor, and he tells him the whole story, and he's like, hey, this is my brother. He's been accepted at the University of Arkansas Little Rock, so he's already, like, in the system. Can we just get him in here at Fayetteville? And the guy said, yep, tap, tap, tap on the computer, prints out a schedule of classes for me. And he's like, here's your schedule. You start tomorrow. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. You know, and at this point, like, none of my friends even knew that I was there. Um, because I had just been sort of doing the business stuff of getting myself enrolled. And uh, I don't remember like how I told my friends that I was there, but you know, I'm sure I just like figured out where they were staying and just like knocked on their door. And we had this great reunion and everything, and it was so exciting. And I was back with my friends and back with my girlfriend. I'm still dating Casey at the time, and she's up in Fayetteville. And it was just like, oh, crisis averted, right? You know, I a bad plan turned good, thanks to some people that cared about me and loved me enough to help make sure that, you know, I was well taken care of. And I got this like temporary dorm assignment. And I think I stayed there one night, but it was like this crappy place. And I just asked my brother, like, hey, can I just stay at your place and sleep on the couch until they give me like a permanent dorm assignment? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I'm crashing on Hunter's couch hanging out with his friends, which is always cool. You know, I think I was there for maybe a week or two until they give me my permanent dorm assignment for my freshman year. And so I go down to the registrar's office or whatever it was and get my dorm assignment and my key. And I go to my dorm and I've got all my stuff with me and I've got like my duffel bag and, you know, all my junk and and a guitar. You know, I was playing guitar a little bit at the time. And I go up and I sort of knock, knock on the door, turn the key, open the door And there's this guy sitting on his bed. And I said, hey, man, I'm your new roommate. And he's like, pops off the bed. And he's like, hey, man, I'm Phil. Nice to meet you. And he was like, totally cool. And and he goes, you play guitar? And I said, yeah. And he goes, cool, me too. And I said, oh, awesome. And he goes, he goes, cool. Do you like Creed? And I was like, uh, and I look around and he's got the whole room decorated with Creed posters. (laughs) Like, you know, the band Creed. Can you take me higher? Creed. And I was like, Oh boy. Like, sure, man. Yeah. Why not? I like Creed. (laughs) And, uh, they were, they were big back then. So sure. Why not? I mean, they were also like kind of dorky at the time, but whatever. I was like, this could be a lot worse. And so, you know, I settle in with Phil and like, we play Creed songs all the time, you know, and that was my freshman dorm situation. That was just so fun. And when I wasn't doing that, you know, I was hanging out with my friends, Uh, down at their dorm, and mainly just like smoking hand-rolled cigarettes on the loading dock behind Pomfret dorm. 
And it was just awesome. Like, you know how college is. You, you just feel like you're this like millionaire, basically. And just playing Tony Hawk 2 and watching Dawson's Creek, you know, with the girls that wanted to hang out with us. And, you know, that's what college was like. And it was awesome. And hanging out with Casey and, you know, just kind of settling into the swing of things. And, and that's how my fall semester went. And it was just a fun, fun time. And it was everything that I wanted college to be. And I was so glad that I got out of the Little Rock plan and got up there to Fayetteville. And I'm like eternally grateful to my mom for making that happen and just being spontaneous and saying, let's do this, you know. And so before I knew it, the fall semester was over. And I was looking at the second half of my freshman year and kind of making plans for the next year. And so next time we'll talk about the second half of my freshman year, the year 2001, the summer that I spent working at a whitewater rafting company in Colorado and the beginning of my fall semester of my sophomore year and really the beginning of a tough time for me. It got rough my sophomore year. And I'll tell you all about that next time. So stay tuned for that. Subscribe to the podcast. Send it to your friends. If you will, please go on and give me a rating and a review on iTunes. That would be really cool. And just click five stars. You know, why not? It's free. Give me a good rating. Send it around. Help this thing get going. I'm having fun with it. I hope you're having fun with it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.